Father in heaven, you are. We praise you, God, because you are the one who is over all. Whatever our greatest fear is, whatever our greatest challenge, whatever happened yesterday, two weeks ago, a year ago, whatever will happen to us tomorrow or 10 years from now, you, God, are above all of these things and are in charge. Nothing happens apart from your will. And so, Father, may that truth abound in our hearts today as we search for peace that passes all understanding that we know can only come by being connected to you. As we look for the restoration of lost joy because of hardship, knowing that joy, full and complete joy, can only come from you. It's my heart's desire now, Lord, that there would be no cleverness but only clarity as your word is declared. Holy Spirit of God, please, as we know you are in our midst, do a mighty work in the hearts of those who are here today. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would declare it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Because I'm going to ask you to do it eventually, why don't you turn to John, actually, chapter 15. And as you're turning to John chapter 15, um, I'd like to remind you why we started this series, the series we are in right now. And uh, we started this series because we're, we, we thought, you know what, maybe it's time for us to, um, to turn our focus on, on maybe um, addressing some of the hardships we face in life and focusing on where we can actually find real peace. So we started a sermon series called Real Peace early in January. Actually, I believe it was January 9th. And the reason we chose that is because we felt like we were in the process of coming out of a, um, what for many of us was a two-year dark period that were challenged by things like um, lockdowns and vaccinations and missing fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and sickness and COVID and 19 and on and on the list went for a couple of years. So we thought we would turn to a passage of scripture where Jesus is declaring to his disciples, hey, there's no reason for your hearts to be troubled. In the same word that he declared to his disciples in in John chapter 14, he declares to us. Well, here we are some two years and three months later, and we find ourselves, it seems like there are shadows and waves of darkness that continue to fly through our country, our world. As you look around right now, we know there are things that are happening between Russia and Ukraine that speak of darkness that continues to exist in this world. And here's what we know, it will be here until Jesus determines it's time to come back and set things as they should be. But now we see what's going on over there, we understand what's happening with um, product shortages, with inflation, with gas prices, war, division. Darkness still continues. I would say it started long before two years ago. And it will continue on until Christ returns. 
But here's the promise that Jesus makes in John chapter 14. And this is kind of why we went to these two passages. Actually, John 14, 15, and 16. Today we're starting in verse, or excuse me, chapter 15. But just a reminder, Jesus is preparing the disciples for his eventual departure. He had just washed their feet. He's declaring to them that I am going away. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And these same words that he spoke to the, to the disciples some 2,000 years ago, you and I actually have access to those same words. They, what they meant for the disciples, Jesus spoke, they also mean for you and me today. We have no reason for our hearts to be troubled if we are in relationship with the one that made that declaration, Jesus Christ. My peace I leave with, he, with you, he says. Now listen, here's, I, I'm gonna say this multiple times throughout the course of this morning's sermon. And here's what it is. Peace cannot be our goal. Peace cannot be our goal. Relationship with Jesus Christ is our goal. Peace is the outcome that comes from being in relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's what would happen if we determined we're going to chase peace. Peace would become the idol and Jesus would fall away and we would do what we believe is necessary in order for peace to be achieved in our lives. I love Jasper's analogy last week, standing in the rainstorm, knee deep in mud, he might have said ankle, but standing knee deep in mud, if peace is our goal, If this is what we are to go after, we believe, our every attempt will be to remove ourselves from the storm and wipe the mud off our feet because we believe that's where peace comes from. But Jesus says, no, it's me, it's my peace that I leave with you. The only way you can achieve true peace is by being in relationship with you. Let me say it this way. If you remember, let's say a month ago, um, the culminating message to our marriage conference, we looked at, um, we looked at Proverbs chapter three, verses five through eight. Now see if you can remember this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He goes on to say, King Solomon, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And verse eight is this. It, if you do this, it will be healing. Healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When you are in the midst of a rainstorm, knee deep in mud, no matter what the challenges you are facing in life, When you read this passage, what is it we want? We want healing and we want refreshment. But just as peace cannot be our goal, neither can healing or refreshment be our goal. If they are our goal, they become idols in our lives. We push Jesus to the side and we determine how best to get after what it means to receive refreshment and healing. Jesus in our relationship with him, trusting in the Lord with all our heart, is our goal, and we entrust the outcome, which is healing, and which is restoration. We entrust that to Jesus, the one who gives. And so here we go. For the next two weeks, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, we see Jesus once again. The time is coming closer. He is hours away from the moment he will be crucified on behalf of the disciples as well as you and me. 
And he is once again taking and making the most of every opportunity he has because he knows his time is short. What would you say right now if you knew moments from now, hours from now, your life was going to be taken from you? What would you say to those who were closest to you? Because I believe you would say what needed to be said to those who are closest to you. So put yourself in Jesus' position right now, all right? A dear friend of mine's dad said to his grandson, I love this. Man, I love this. He said, Caleb, we sure had fun, didn't we? This was a man devout in his relationship with the Lord who had declared Jesus to his grandson over and over. And he said, he said, man, we had fun, didn't we? And the fun came because it was laced with who Jesus Christ was. Just before I removed life support from my wife, hours left, at least I thought they were, I leaned down and said, Andrea, I don't know what to do. We need to turn this one over to the Lord. He's going to have to do something miraculous. And the last thing I was able to say to her, praise God, as I whispered into her ear, Psalm 139, because the word of God is what does the clear speaking. And it's my hope today, as we look at this passage, we hear Jesus and the, the emphasis and the urgency with which he spoke to his disciples, he says to you and me, what would be your last words? So he already spoke in John chapter 14. He said, hey, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going away. But listen, where I'm going, I'm making a way for you to be there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Knowing that they would be afraid that he was leaving, he said, but listen, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you something that's better. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him to be in you. And then he comes to John chapter 15, the first 11 verses. And this is going to be a part one sermon today, part two sermon next week. I don't know where it's going to split in between, but let's see what the Lord does. So let's read this passage together, um, if you would, please. John 15, verses 1 to 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. By this, My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just 
as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at verse 11. These things, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As a receiver of these words, where's your heart drawn? When you read that passage, those 11 verses, what jumps out most clearly to you? Especially given, let's say, you are in the middle of the craziest rainstorm of your life. You're not just knee deep anymore, you're waist deep. You're not just waist deep anymore, you're up to your neck. Whatever it is right now that is driving you to fear and anxiety, that is robbing you of your peace, that's stealing life of its joy, where does your mind go when you read that, that passage? Here's where I believe it goes. At least it does for me. These things Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be where? In you. And that your joy may be full. I don't know what your rainstorm is right now. I don't know how deep in the mud you are, but Jesus makes a very clear promise there. He says, I'm saying these things. When Jesus speaks, we must listen. I'm saying these things to you so that my joy may be in you. Joy. Joy. This is not happiness. There's a difference between joy and, the, and, and happiness. Here's what happiness is. It's this feel-good moment we have when things actually happen the way we want them to happen. Joy is quite a bit different than that, than happiness. Joy is something that runs deep into the heart and the soul of the individual that is connected to the one who is the only one that can provide you with that experience of joy that wells up inside of you, knowing, and it comes from knowing that I am in the hands of the sovereign God who is overall and can be trusted even in the middle of the nastiest storm that life will bring. All right, look at this. Or listen to this. No matter what. Let me put it this way. Joy is not happiness. Joy is inexpressible delight that comes from trusting that Jesus is in you and that he has what is best for you no matter what. So let's imagine right now we don't know what joy feels like. Okay? Jesus is right now declaring to them, I'm going away. Jesus knows that in just a few hours, I'm gone. But he also knows three days from then, He's going to return and appear to them. Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. I love this. I love this. In John 20, 20, I want you to put yourself number one in the shoes of Jesus and then of the disciples. Listen to this. John 20, 20. It's after he is resurrected. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear for fear of the Jews, those that would come after him, them, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, what? Peace be with you. 
He shows up and says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side to prove this is who I am. Then the disciples, the ESV records it this way. The disciples were glad. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, you know how it is when you're the one that is surprising people there. It's completely unexpected. Completely unexpected. You know how it feels. And so I can imagine Jesus standing on the outside of the locked door, just waiting to see the look on their faces when he reveals, I am alive and here I am. Imagine the joy that Jesus, the source of joy, was experiencing in that moment. All right? Now imagine you're a disciple that's on the other side of the door and all of a sudden, the one that you believed was your Messiah who had died on the cross, the one that you believed was going to restore things as they were supposed to be for the people of Israel, gone, he's dead. Now, boom, here he is standing in front of you, scars in his hands and his feet. I'm here, peace be with you. What they felt is a joy that you and I can experience as well. The moment we accept that what Jesus did for us gives us access to relationship with God the Father through him, connecting us to him, the true vine, giving us access to a joy that will penetrate through any fear, through any anxiety, through anything. That's what joy is. I titled the sermon, Really, Jesus, My Joy Can Be Full. Really, Jesus, my joy can be full. What if I told you right now, I read an article last week that said Dr. Fauci is back. And you know what he's saying? People of America, you need to be ready to pivot and go back to what is necessary to flatten the curve. We're just about in a place where all of life is restored to normal and all of a sudden he says something like that. What goes through your heart? I'm telling you right now, it's hard for me to not want to clench my fists. Maybe you feel like right now there are these magnificently great chains that are draped over your heart. Do you think there's no way this can be broken? Really, Jesus? I can have your peace. I can be full of peace. I want, if I can have a hope for you today, this is what I hope you walk away with. Today's great takeaway with Jesus, your joy can be full and nothing, nothing, can take it away from you. These things Jesus says, I have spoken to you when Jesus speaks and he says, my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He means it. He means it. Look at those three verses. Or excuse me, look at that verse. 11. Three parts to it. The path to finding joy. You want that real joy? You want that fullness of joy? You want his joy to be in you? It begins with this. These things I have spoken to you. It begins with hearing and trusting what Jesus says. 
in order to have access to this true joy that comes from being in relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to listen to him. You have to believe what he says. You have to trust in what he says. Jesus cannot lie. He cannot speak falsehood. And what he says, he means. These things I have spoken to you. Romans chapter 10, God says this through the apostle Paul to the Romans and he then extends it to you and me. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Full joy is only accessible through relationship with Jesus Christ. Relationship with Jesus Christ only comes when you accept what he did and what he says he did for you and me. He recognized we are separated by our sinful flesh from God the Father. He knew with God the Father the only way for that to be restored, the relationship for mankind, for you and me, to have our relationship restored with God the Father was for him to go to the cross and lay his life down so that we could be in relationship with him and thus have access to everything he has for us, including joy. Jesus was leaving the disciples. He wanted the disciples to believe that he was, to believe in who he was and what he was about to do. And I'll think about it. We've wrestled over this before. The person of Jesus, the one who brings us joy, is walking side by side with us. And Jesus is like, hey, chapter 14, that's not good enough. It's not, I have to go away. And this is what's best for you so that Me, the one who brings you joy, can actually not just walk beside you, but take up residence inside of you. So you and I become one. I am one with you through my Holy Spirit as I grant it to you as you accept what I did for you on the cross. Jesus going from the outside to the inside, what that his joy may be where? In us, in us. If you are connected to the true vine of Jesus Christ, you have his joy completely in you. What an amazing truth that is. Maybe it's hard for you to listen to this. It's hard to listen when things are hard, isn't it? Especially when God says, patience, child. This is going at my pace, not yours. It's so easy to say, I'm going to try and take control of this and wipe the the mud off my feet. When Jesus says to us, hey, not that way, but this way. When he says, stop doing that. When he says, stop thinking that. When he says, hey, child, you're wrong. I'm right. When things are hard, it's not easy to listen to what Jesus has to say. The path to to full joy begins with hearing and trusting what Jesus says. How are you doing at listening to what Jesus says? If you want real joy, you must listen to what Jesus says. So verse 11, he starts with, these things I have spoken to you. Well, what are the things that he spoke to us? I suppose we could say the entirety of the Bible. Because he did. He caused the Bible to be what it is. He has preserved it from the, from the day it was written till it's sitting in your lap today. 
God is determined that he's going to preserve his word for you and me. So yeah, we could say he, he spoke. So these things I've spoken to you, but in the context of the passage, these things that I've spoken to you are referring to verses one through 10. Because if you look right now, bounce right back, bounce right back to the end of verse, or the end of chapter 14, what does he say? He goes from chapter 13, washing the disciples' feet to saying a few things to them that were paramount the disciples needed to hear in this upper room where he washed their feet. And then at the end of chapter 14, he says, rise, let us go from here. So there is a break. They get up, they pack their bags or whatever they did, and they moved on down the road, headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus starts saying these things. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And so, you know, the guys and I, we do sermon collaboration. We help each other write each other's sermons. And so, sermon collaboration started this past week. And I said, hey, why, or excuse me, I started like this. When would you go to a vineyard? And I have in my mind what they should be saying. And they said, I'd go to the vineyard in the fall time of the year when the colors are in full. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. Why, why would you go then? The harvest is over. There's nothing to show for it except for colors in the trees. When we, oh, I'd go, I would not go in the heat of the summer because it would be miserable to walk around a vineyard. And once again, they're missing what, they, what I thought they should be thinking. So I'm asking you the question, when would you go to the vineyard? Why would you go to a vineyard? I asked them the same question. You know what they said? Taste wine. And I'm like, fine. You're going to taste wine, but where does wine come from? Like, I'm really leading them to say, please make my sermon analogy, Jesus' sermon analogy, right. Here's what it is. Wouldn't you want to go and see the very thing, full in bloom, ripe, fat grapes that declare this is a healthy vineyard. That's when I would choose to go, when the grapes are ripe, when they're ready to come off, when things are in full bloom, when the very thing that is declaring this what makes a vineyard a vineyard is fully expressed. So Jesus takes the mind of the disciples to a vineyard. And he says this, he says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. And he says, you are the branches. If you look at verse eight, by this, Jesus says, my father is glorified. What? That you bear much fruit. This is amazing to me. Jesus Christ declares the vine, is declared, he declares himself the vine. Jesus is the vine. He is the source of life. His number one concern is that God the Father is glorified. You want real, real peace in your life? You want that fullness of joy? You work to understand what it means for us to glorify God. Because here's why. If, if Jesus is the vine and the Father is the vine dresser, the vine dresser is most concerned that that which the branches, you and me, produce point people back to the healthiness and the life-giving nourishment of the vine. So you have the sun 
concerned that the vine dresser, the, the father, is glorified. And you have the father who is concerned that the attention is fully given to the vine, Jesus. And then there's you and me, brother and sister in Christ, one that has accepted that Jesus is the vine, what he did for us on the cross. The Father is going to do his pruning work in your life and in my life so that we would bear much fruit. What does the fruit declare? That the branch is healthy. How is the branch healthy? Because it's connected to the vine and receiving nourishment from the vine. How absolutely humbling is it for you and me that we, the things we produce, beautifully magnify and exalt and glorify the vine, which the Father is most concerned with. That is an absolutely humbling and amazing truth that we are given a privilege by being connected to this vine, pruned by the Father to declare the greatness of the vine, the singular concern, not the singular, but the concern of the Father. How absolutely magnificent. The path, the path of full joy begins with hearing and trusting what Jesus says. And it also demands that we accept who Jesus is and that he is the vine and that we must be connected to him. Verse five says, apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. Jesus is the one and only vine. There was one we found in chapter 13, sad to say, you all know it, Judas, the one disciple, that had a supposed appearance of being connected to the vine for three years. He walked with Jesus. He walked with the other disciples that proved he really wasn't connected to the vine. And so the father determined, Jesus shared it, you are not among us. Go do what you're gonna do. He walks away and eventually betrays Jesus, turns him in. There are some, there are some that give the appearance of being connected to the vine. Like Judas. There are some that will one day declare, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works? Mighty acts in your name. And at the end, he's going to declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you evildoers, you workers of lawlessness. Connection to the vine is absolutely critical. Hey, there are false vines in our lives. One of them can be church experience. You know what? I count on church to be my nourishment. And you know what? You will be nourished but not from the vine. You'll be nourished as you interact with and watch the true church of God fellowship together. It is an attractive thing, fullness of grapes, declaring Jesus. Open your ears and your eyes and hear. You are using the church to be your vine and it is not. Jesus is the true vine. 
Family heritage, some of us lean into, well, my parents were, so I must be. There are other false finds. Husbands, you are not the true vine for your wife. Wife, your husband is not your true vine. Husbands, your wife is not your true vine. Wife, you are not your husband's true vine. Parents, scary, especially when you're 18 year old, the last one is about to walk out of the house. You are not the true vine for your children. Parents, your children are not your true vine. The fullness of joy comes from being in relationship with the true vine. The path to full joy requires open ears and accepting that Jesus is what he says he is, and he is the true vine. The path to full joy also means that we must accept who we are and what that means. We've already addressed this a bit, but Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, We are to be the ones that bear fruit. What is the fruit, quickly? You know, Galatians chapter 5, this is what our lives, this is what the fullness of a, a grapevine expresses as we branch, as we are connected to the vine. It's love. Your life must display love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these there is no law because you are representing, you are declaring the, the, the magnificent nourishment that comes from the vine as you are expressing the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God that he has given you the moment you come into relationship with him. Here's another way fruit is expressed. As you declare, as you declare Christ, as you live for him and display these fruits, you will not be able to help yourself but to be a disciple maker. Other people responding to Jesus Christ because of what they see in you. Fruit. Fruit. I was skiing in Colorado, not last week, but the week before. And I saw two different places over the, across the mountain. One spot, there's like this pine tree that was like 20 feet tall like unnaturally green. Jump on the lift. I go to the top of the lift, which is like a 10-minute ride, and then nestled back in the aspens that had no leaves, back in the aspens was another tree about the same height, unnaturally green. It was never green. These were evergreen trees. Well, you're like, okay, well, evergreens, they don't lose their needles. I know, but these were unnaturally green. If, If the mountain would have been full bloom... They wouldn't have stood out like they did. You know what they were. If you go to Granville, you can see one that's 175 feet tall. It's a cell tower dressed like a tree. These were cell towers dressed like a tree. These cell towers I saw in Beaver Creek, Colorado, were so out of place because the season had declared they don't belong here, they're not real. As you spend your time 
living life, either for Jesus or not, if you are in the church, time will roll on and will expose whether or not you are actually, truly connected to the nourish and life-giving vine of Jesus Christ. You'll, you'll be on full display. And the day will come where you'll stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we go to church? Didn't we go to, to small group? Didn't we serve in kids' ministry? And he says, you are never connected to the true vine. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Our goal should be to glorify God. To glorify God by being fruitful, receiving the nourishment and responding to the true vine as we are attached to him. Our ears must be open. We must accept who Jesus is, the true vine, and we must also know what that means and that we are to bear much fruit glorifying the vine. Well, we have a few more things that we need to cover and we're gonna have to slide that to next week. But I wanna give you a little taste of what next week is going to look like, okay? It's, I, please, the overarching message that Jesus is saying here is you can, have, you can have my joy so completely full and there is nothing, no storm of life that can take it away from you. Please walk away knowing Connected to the vine, this is what I have access to. All right? Next week, we're going to speak more clearly about the Father's role in this. And also, you're like, no, wait a minute, Todd, I've read this passage many times, and the word abide, Jesus says it like 10 times. Why haven't we talked about that? Well, well, next week, we're going to talk about that. Because when the Father prunes, and we're going to talk about that, It makes it hard to abide because pruning seldom feels good. So we're coming to that. But I want to leave you with this. Um, John Piper, who is just a tremendous resource man of God, um, he said this. He said, I believe with all my might, I'm I'm paraphrasing now. He says, I believe with all my might, I am connected to the true vine. He said, but I spend my life working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I work out my life, work out my salvation, living my life with fear and trembling. I make, I'm doing everything I can to make my calling and my election sure. Here's what we know. Those two verses I just referred to, Jesus knows those who are connected to the vine. He knows those who are connected to the vine. But but, but what John Piper is saying here is, in order to receive the full joy that comes from the one inside us, while he abides in us, we also must abide in him. And John Piper says, I believe with all my might that I'm saved. He said, but there is a little twinge of what, I wonder what could come into my life to make me forsake him and prove that I was, that I was just a, 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 um, a cell tower on top of a mountain. He lives with that humble sobriety before the Lord, knowing, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need to remain connected to you. I need my eyes to be fixed on you. I need to listen to you. 
Because I don't want anything to come into my life, no storm, no depth of mud, to ever challenge me to walk away from you. And if John Piper can say that, we should live that way too, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Church, we have access to the fullness of joy. No matter what comes, no matter what Dr. Fauci says, He said that, by the way. We don't need to worry, though, because we have the great joy giver in our hearts. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for your word. Lord, there is so much in this passage. Oh, my goodness, there's so much in this passage. I'm thankful, Lord, that you spoke those words so that we could receive the fullness of joy that you have for us. I pray, Lord, if there is anyone here that does not know and has never experienced true joy that comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, Lord, that you would convict them. Convict them. Lean into them. Do a mighty work in their hearts. And for those of us who are connected to you that are struggling now, Lord, I pray that your peace that passes all understanding would wash over them, that you would prove to them what true joy really is and that you would do a mighty, mighty work in their hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.